0: Welcome to the Digital Marketing Insights Podcast, brought to you by Brightside Digital.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm delighted to say we have Killian today, a web marketing manager. Killian, how are you doing?
0: Good, Tom. Thanks for having me. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. And thank you for doing the show saying killian we'll always start off the same can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your career to date please
0: yeah so uh, i've been working in kind of digital marketing for about for at least 15 years i'm kind of losing track of years and um, started out i did programming in college and i didn't, wasn't really that interested and um, so I, I dropped out and basically i've been learning this kind of work ever since um, I started off in a very small little office in a manufacturing company where I was given quite free rein to look after our marketing and look after our sales. And I remember they one day they came in and said they had a copy of Photoshop. was like CS2 or something. Um, but also with Photoshop at the time came Dreamweaver. so they said, "Oh look, this says you can build a website with it. so go figure out how to build us a website um, cheaply essentially. And so that kind of led me down the rabbit hole of, I figured out how to build a website, Dreamweaver. We built the website, then realized nobody was coming to the website. So I was like, well, how do we get people to the website? And so that kind of sent me down this career path. And this kind of rabbit hole was one, building websites for people, but then how do you actually get relevant traffic to a website? And that led me down to SEO and paid advertising and then as I got more experience into generally into more just digital marketing in general and the kind of complexities that come with it. It's not always as simple as, you know, add a bit of content to a page and somebody will come, you know, job done. Um, so that's, that's, that's what's kind of led me to this. I've had various roles over the years. I did a lot of agency work, um, but I left agencies. I left my own agency recently last year to, uh, to start working in-house on bigger companies
1: yeah and it's really fascinating to hear you've worked that long ago in in web design and and uh obviously photoshop I, i'm guessing it was when that version of dreamweaver would have been when it was just tables and blocks and stuff. yeah yeah. I mean, yeah it was like, it, it had
0: just um, like it was still tables but but like you know you had, using css properly had just kind of started And so that world was coming around of like getting away from tables and using CSS properly to control layouts. Um, So it was heavy on like float left, float right. Um, So it was a lot of that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, but that's that's how I got into it and then into Joomla and building websites in Joomla and then discovered WordPress and kind of so on from there. Right.
1: Yeah, no, I've been there. Uh, I, I felt your pain. Uh, it's amazing that there's some of those older CMS platforms. They still use that form of uh, float left and float right for their email shootouts. And oh stuff. yeah, uh, yeah. I, it kind of takes you to uh, back when you work on those kind of things. But um, I, I suppose you've had huge, like very various different forms of digital marketing throughout your career. But what would you see as your main strength and? and your go-to comfort zone in digital marketing
0: uh, i'd say seo would probably be my main strength and um, over the years at agencies i worked heavily on on seo i always did a bit of paid for people and like, to be honest, i still do a bit of like freelance paid for clients um because it's very it's more kind of binary as far as it's you know you spend x you get x it's much easier to track so um but from a career point of view seo has been kind of my main Main interest as well, like it's what I think about when I'm not working. So, uh, SEO would definitely be the kind of the main area I would have worked in, and technical SEO as well.
1: Yeah, and which is a huge area in SEO that isn't normally overlooked as well. Is there any technical examples or any work there that you're really proud of and you made it really successful? So, could you give us just an example of a campaign or? some work you've done on there.
0: Yeah. So back in 2012, I worked for a company in Australia um, that sold kind of beauty type products. And we, so when I started, they did about 60 K a year in online sales. And when I left, it was four years later, it was about 600 K. And we, we didn't build a single backlink. the main work I did actually was just the technical structure of the e-commerce website. So what was the title of the page? Was it correct? Like did it match the intent of somebody searching for that type of product? So from a product page all the way back up to like a, an e-commerce category page. So, um, say it was like the category was nail polish. Like was the category named correctly? Was it discoverable by, by Google? So that, you know, I spent four years working on that, like I said, without building a single backlink to the website, but while it's still growing the, the business massively um, with little or no cost other than obviously paying me uh, internally. Um, so that kind of, from a technical point of view, would have been probably the biggest achievement to date. Um, and we've had similar, like, I've had similar like that since, true agency world of just, you know, like little small things, stopping a page from being indexable in Google True, no fault of people's own, like, you know, businesses do things sometimes by accident or they create pages by accident or they set up a page by accident or in a way that means Google can't index or can't discover it. And sometimes finding these little problems can, can make or break, you know, getting traffic to a website, increasing sales. And if it's a very small business, it can change, you know, not to big enough too much but it can change like if you're working with a very small business it can kind of change somebody's life like if you're working with like a small company where there's only an owner and a few employees you know drastically increasing their sales and leads can have a massive effect on their life and the life of their staff and the amount of people they can hire and the growth of the business and sometimes it's just something as simple as well you know google couldn't discover this page and all of a sudden they can and it can make a massive change you know?
1: Yeah, I, I, I literally have an example like that right now where I've brought their search impressions from 3,000 a day up to 25,000. And I think the biggest wins for the site was the technical side of things because it was built on Vue and it was all Java mm. based. So a lot of it wasn't indexable yeah. in Google. So it was identifying how you can um, index it. So pre render was the answer. But yeah. Um, it's it's really interesting how technical is overlooked for for anyone that's unfamiliar with technical seo could you give us just a little bit of a breakdown of some of the factors that might help your google and bing and your your organic search algorithms by implementing technical seo
0: yeah so technical can range from something as simple as like is your page indexable by google and if it's not indexable by Google, it means they can't rank it and show it in search results. And um, so that's like the most basic example. But then you get into you get into especially on e-commerce websites, you can get into very complicated aspects such as canonical links um, and pa- pagination. So, for example, on an e-commerce site, you might have um, a category about dresses, but then you might have red dresses, and that might just be handled by a filter. Now, a lot of the times, these filters aren't indexable by Google on purpose because they it can create. You know, if you think about all of the types of filters you might have on an Amazon product page, for example, or category page, it would it turns one URL into thousands essentially. So there's like there's a lot of work there to be done sometimes about what page do you want Google to index or not. So like if red dresses are really important, well maybe that type of filter should be indexable. Maybe you should you would want Google to discover. The red dresses filter on your on your website and then conversely there might be a there might be a you know a turquoise dresses that just no nobody cares about nobody searches for so maybe you don't let that one be indexable by, by Google so that's kind of like a simple example from an e-commerce point of view about you know deciding what pages should you should allow Google to index or encourage them to index and e-commerce has that kind of particular challenge where you can all of a sudden get into thousands and millions of URLs really quickly uh, based on variations so going through and figuring out well what do we want to be indexed what don't we want to be indexed and um, can have a really really big impact on a website and even on non-e-commerce websites it can as well especially getting into world of wordpress where people have tags and categories where they just without knowing they might allow all this stuff to be indexed and it just creates maybe confusion from a google point of view um pages are too similar and just kind of removing them or not even removing or even telling google hey like just don't worry about these pages can help kind of focus google towards what your website is really about and kind of increase your relevancy and make sure that you're on topic google understands what your website is about and you're not confusing uh, google in any way about what your website is about and all and that can be achieved from you know almost like ticks of the of a switch or flicks of a switch like don't index the page Ignore this. Make sure you in, you crawl this one. Um, so that you know from a technical uh, SEO point of view, um, it's at its most basic. It can get very complicated, like you just said, about pre-rendering and JavaScript-based websites, where the process is slightly different from for JavaScript-based uh, websites, where it gets crawled and technically there's nothing there yet, and then it renders, and then it crawls again. Um, so that process is a lot more complicated and can be, you know, can, can take a lot of work to, to figure out and done right. But as the kind of technology is maturing in terms of like JavaScript based websites or single page applications and these type of uh, front ends, it is getting a little bit easier to figure these things out. Um, a few years ago, it was quite difficult uh, because Google didn't handle JavaScript very well in terms of rendering, but it has gotten better. The technologies that, work on these have gotten better so it is getting a little bit easier but like like i said you could have and you do have roles of companies now that are purely just technical seo figuring out how to make sure that your product or your website is crawlable the right pages being crawlable is there any issues or bottlenecks and especially on big e-commerce sites it's a it's almost a must-have now on big e-commerce sites
1: yeah and there's so much opportunity with staying up to date in the technical space so yeah yeah Killian, I'm sure you'd agree, the kind of the whole schema-rich snippets yeah, sure. uh, benefits that you get if you stay on top of, you know, applying the appropriate codes for your FAQs, your article sections, or your reviews, and so on. It you've you've seen you've been in the game enough to see the transitions and the opportunities. If you're one of the first to move to the, to these um, new rollouts, especially.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and. Even on like in an non e commerce space or non kind of almost non technical, but I remember I worked with a solicitor where all we did was add schema to their product pages, or to their calendar service pages, to so say they had a um, personal injury page or a family law page. We added schema just to detail what the page was about from a schema point of view, but also what it was it was also known as. So you know um, you might say personal injury is also known as you know uh, accident claims it's also known as x y and z so we literally that's all we did was in the schema and make sure that it was, we were making it clear to Google what the context of this page was about and that had a massive impact on their rankings just that one change just schema making sure Google understood the context of all of their service pages had a massive impact on rankings, and we did it in a sanitized way, so we didn't make any other changes. We just made the changes to schema, weighted, measured the impact. Um, so, like that's really simple. And, and the thing is, it's, sometimes these things can be hard to convince a business to do because they're non-visual. You know, they don't see it actually happening. You're, you're just like, okay, it's, it's there. You know, it's in the background. It's in the, it's in the document. Users aren't going to see this because sometimes it can be hard to convince business owners that this is the right thing to spend time and money on um but you know the proof is in the pudding but again with all things seo you, you won't always have the same result like you can go and do that for your product page tomorrow and nothing might happen right
1: it depends on the industry and it's it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all kind of approach um looking at your softwares you use for your day to day work. Is there anything that you swear by that you'd like to recommend on the show?
0: Did I swear by, uh, well, Screaming Frog, definitely. I'm sure that comes up a lot. Um, so we use Screaming Frog a lot, and then kind of for traditional kind of SEO and content, um, we use a combination of we use a product called Story Chief, which we love, um, as like a centralized um, content repository. So essentially, what we do is we we have this, we have a process in place for creating our content, and it all gets published into this repository, in, from where which we can push to anywhere. So we push it to our WordPress blog, we can push it to an RSS feed, we can push it to um, all of our social channels, we can push it to like brand ambassadors, you know. So it's like just one centralized location. So from a content point of view, that's really really important from our point of view. From just the SEO point of view, like I said, Screaming Frog is open right now on my computer. It'll be open all day, every day, for quickly checking things, and um, and that's pretty much it. Like you can, I can pretty much get by using a little bit of AHREFS and uh, just a spot check, spot check things. Um, but like most of our keyword research will be kind of semi manually done. A little bit of AHREFS, a lot of Google Search Console for analyzing our own content and seeing those opportunities from what google is telling us in there Um, but that'd be it i'd say
1: yeah and like i can tell just from your experience alone and and what you've been saying here you guys are really on top of making sure that you're right up there with the latest developments and making sure that you have a lot of these areas in place um constantly do you find it's easy for you to to regularly upskill and and what's your main sources for getting information?
0: Yeah, like it's, it's easier than it ever is, but you just you just have to cut through the noise. Right, that's the hard part. Um, so like Twitter a lot, um, and then there's a good few blogs and kind of forums that stay on top of various so like search engine land, search engine journal, search engine roundtable, the kind of those few few of those. But yeah, Twitter. I go to what I, I go to, or I virtually attend Brighton SEO uh, twice a year to keep up on top of what's happening from an SEO perspective. So that'd be mainly it. It's just kind of like the people I think are worthwhile on the likes of Twitter and so on, uh, and then conferences.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, really good advice. And looking at the digital industry as a, as a whole, maybe let's focus strictly on SEO because uh, of the nature of this podcast. Yeah but is there anything that really excites you or you think is a really interesting opportunity for maybe listeners of the show in terms of SEO in the future?
0: Yeah, look, it's just, (laughs) I don't know if it excites me, but um, it's getting harder, I would say, right? Um, You know, we were lucky in the past, like we had eras where you could just build links at scale and it worked, Um, and then it was, you know, you could throw a heap of content on a page and that worked. Um, so I'm kind of excited about the fact that it is getting more difficult and it's, it can't now just be content for the sake of content. You really have to be adding uh, value to the user and that's difficult. Like, you know, and we have like a massive process in place for creating content, but even controlling the quality of that is difficult. Like we, we do about 16 articles a month. and it's getting harder and harder to, to get these ranking like, like, and we're trying to add value like we're not just look, going after like, we don't just Google, like go after a keyword in a in an article you know we're, we're looking at a topic from a broad sense and how can we be an authority on that topic how can we add value genuinely we're not trying to convert people from our blog posts we're first trying to add value so that's exciting but it's difficult it's getting more and more difficult um to kind of convince Google to rank you genuinely. Uh, so that's both exciting and challenging suppose, at the same time.
1: Is, is that something that's more of a challenge for your content writers rather than yourselves? Because obviously content writing is, you know, it's a large part of the SEO space and traditionally a lot of writers get paid by quantity, how many their articles and stuff they're producing. Whereas now it sounds like, you're making the point that it's going to be quantity or nothing at all you know a lot of clients or people are not going to pay for just posts that basically don't do anything to the site if anything might bring down the site because they're just spreading the link equity across the board or something
0: yeah yeah it's definitely like i said you can we're producing a lot of content but it's not for the sake of producing content right we're trying to be as valuable as we can so like, we're being really specific in the stuff that we create um, and we're making sure that it's really really relevant to what we do so we're not creating content about things that aren't or are, are like are tangentially relevant to our business we're trying to create content where genuinely we solve user problems and answer queries genuinely and in some cases it so happens that our product helps answer those problems sometimes it doesn't but we're still in a position of authority to say like we work we're in this industry so you know we, we do know what we're talking about. But that's very hard content to create, depending on your industry. Some industries it's a little bit easier. Like if you look at eight H content, their their industry and their focus is really kind of specific. It's like it's SEO, right? But then they're addressing a very very uh, kind of clearly identified need people are trying to get ahead at seo and there's all these tactics involved so they can attach themselves to these tactics and create content that's genuinely interesting and relevant but also just so happens to encourage the use of AHS because tech because it actually does uh, help with these tactics so for my type of e edesk that's not as clear we're customer service software so it's not it's not as clear you're not kind of hooking onto tactics you're hooking on to kind of recommendations and how to save money, which is very different to helping people um, earn more money. It's a little bit different, right? So saving people money is different than earning people money, especially when it comes to content. So for my point of view, that's a little bit more difficult, and I think it's getting more difficult for most content creators. Um, and there's a lot of these AI tools out here that'll help you, you know, produce like content on a massive scale. But Google gets like, what is it? I mean, like three updates in a month or two months or something. So Google is really trying to stay on top of this stuff. So it's, you really have to be clear. You have to do a lot of research to make sure your content's on point. And even then, you mightn't get a win. Right? Um, so yeah, it does make it quite difficult. But again, it has to be quality. You have to be genuinely answering queries and genuinely adding value to the user. If you're not, it's just not going to work anymore.
1: Brilliant advice, Gideon. Unfortunately, I'm coming to my last question on the show, which is where we try and understand the people behind the roles a little bit more. If you could bottle up one personality trait that you have yourself that you could pass on to others, what would it be?
0: It would be, I think empathy is hugely important, Um, especially when you're working in teams of people. Like if, if you can't empathize with people's point of view, people would always then be kind of afraid to be wrong. So you don't, you never want to work in a scenario where it's like frowned upon to to have a bad suggestion or a bad idea you know and so i think empathy is really important so that you can be open to ideas you can be open to hearing things that challenge what you may think about things so yeah i think empathy would be critically important from, from my point of view
1: brilliant brilliant that's it thank you so much for being interviewed killian if people want to reach out to you how can they find you
0: uh they can find me on linkedin or on twitter at killian bc
1: That's it, thanks everyone for listening.